But let's, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for the walkers. I thank you for their um, faithfulness to you and their, their clinging, their abiding in you, even when things are difficult. And I thank you for their willingness to share vulnerably. And uh, that, I think, is, is a sign of, of what it means when uh, that weakness actually is powerful, that us uh, expressing our brokenness and vulnerabilities and weaknesses is actually the means by which you, um, your glory and your power is seen, is made evident, and people are actually um, encouraged to do the same, to turn to you for help. And I pray that we would do that this morning. Uh, our, our real fundamental problem for us is listening to our own hearts, listening to our own minds, listening to our own dreams, desires, wishes, and not first giving our attention to, to you, to your word, spoken to us through the Holy Scriptures. So we pray that you would help us to do that, to, to dismiss our desires and our hearts, longings, and all of those things, and that um, they would be supplanted by the truth of your word found here in John's gospel. We pray for your help, for your spirit, to illuminate and enlighten our hearts and our minds. We pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. So uh, C.S. Lewis, when he was nine years old, lost his mother. She died of cancer. And he speaks of that loss uh, in his uh, autobiography, Surprised by Joy. And he says this, With my mother's death, all settled happiness, all that was tranquil and reliable, disappeared from my life. There was to be much fun, many pleasures, many stabs of joy, but no more of the old security. It was sea and islands now. The great continent, his mother, had sunk like Atlantis. And life did get difficult for Lewis because, he was, he, he, because his mother took care of him in the home and he was sort of privately uh, tutored. His dad shipped him off to boarding school for months at a time. He hated boarding school. Life was difficult because his, his, his mother, who was, who was like an anchor in his life, a continent, a landing pad for him to stand upon, was gone. And it was, it was painful for him. Now, the truth is, we all have that sense, like Lewis, this deep sense of loss. I mean, sure, we experience a lot of pleasures, a lot of fun, many stabs of joy, but doesn't life seem like sea and islands? It's kind of broken apart. There's difficulties that quickly come in. Doesn't it feel like the old continent has sunk? And don't you feel like psychologically adrift? And the Bible says we are. Like that's, that's appropriate. It's appropriate to feel like that. Because we are. God, we, we, we experience Life without God. It's not just psychologically difficult. It's, spirit, it's a spiritual problem. Our problem is a spiritual problem. We experience life without God. It is disorienting. It's devastating. Our life is marked by sea and islands, right? Sea and islands. So the question is, for us, is how do we get back home? 
How do we get back to the continent where we can rest? That's the question. That's the question on every human's mind. And Christ, Jesus, in our passage today, answers that question. He's going to answer it for us, and we're going to, we're going to see his answer. And it's actually very encouraging. So let's just let's jump right in. Verse 1, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, it's very understandable that he would say this, because their hearts have every reason to be troubled. Jesus has spoken of a betrayal. One of them will betray him. He's even pointed out that it's going to be Judas by giving him the morsel. Jesus has told Peter that he will deny him three times. And Jesus has told all the disciples that he's leaving them, and where he's going, they can't come. I'm leaving you. And so naturally, they are troubled. We have to kind of exercise our imaginations a little bit to understand the gravity of what they're feeling when they hear Jesus say, I am leaving you and where I am going, you cannot come. Because they have, for the last three years, these disciples have been with God in the flesh. They, they, they have, uh, they, they, they've been with a man who could conquer any problem. There's nothing too difficult for this person, Christ, the God-man, to accomplish. I mean, what, what do you fear? Do you fear starvation? Do you fear demon possession? Do you fear sickness? Do you fear storms? Do you fear going blind? Do you fear getting cancer? Do you fear losing a loved one? Any and all of these problems could be solved by Jesus by, by him sp- simply speaking the solution upon the situation. And boom, it's solved. And now he's going away. And the disciples feel like, uh, probably are, are beginning to feel like Lewis when his mother's fading away into death. They're feeling the, the, the settled happiness of life with God. All that is tranquil, all that is reliable is about to disappear. The old security is about to go away. It's going to be sea and islands. The great continent, Christ, is about to sink. So they're troubled. Jesus understands their trouble. And his his primary purpose in these words, this week and in next week as well, is to encourage them. It's to encourage them in their trouble. And so what does he say? How how do you encourage the troubled heart? Look at what Jesus says, verse 1. Believe in God. Believe in me also. Belief is the solvent for the troubles of the disciples and for our troubles as well. Belief. But it's not just it's not just any belief. It's not just like vague belief. It's belief in a in a particular thing in God. And then Jesus says, believe in me, in Christ. And then he gives us this warm image. Look at verse 2. In my father's house, and I like to translate it, in my father's estate, there are many homes. My father's estate, there are many homes. If If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you myself, to myself. That where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. 
This is, this is sweet. This is sweet sounding. You have a home on my father's estate, and I am preparing it for you. And I will take you there myself to present it for, to you. Uh, you probably have know of Chip and Joanne, our friends down in Waco that remodel houses and the excitement. Many, many of us watch this show where they take a house and they prepare a place for someone and, and they're working on it, they're working on it, and then eventually they go and find that person and they drive to, together to the home and they get out of their cars and they say, here's what we've prepared for you, your home. And the people are wild and amazed. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do that with you. I'm preparing a home for you and I will come and I will get you and I will take you to the father's estate and I will show you. I will we'll get out of the car. We'll look at the, the home on the estate and I will say, this is your forever home. This is your eternal home. Abode with the father, with God, the father in heaven. It's a beautiful, warm picture that he's giving them. And then Thomas asks a very good question. Thomas, verse 5. Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? This, this sounds great. But if we don't know the destination, how can we get there? If we don't know the destination, how can we know the route? Right? I mean, it makes sense, right? And Christ says, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. Christ brings comfort. I am the way and the truth and the life. You stick with me. The disciples, they don't have any idea about how, what he's talking about, how they're going to get there, how they're going to get to this home. And Christ says, I'm going to get you there. You, you stay with me, and I will get you there. When I was in college, I took a, uh, spent a summer in China and Tibet. Big problem for me was that I didn't know Chinese, and I did not know the area. I didn't know the culture. I didn't know how, like, how to get around. I didn't know any of these things. I was totally at a loss. If I needed to find a bathroom or a restaurant or anything, i hopeless. How could I find my way? Well, here's how. There was a guy that was there, lived there permanently, but he was an American. He was like me in that he knew American culture, he knew uh, English, and he had, but then he was unlike me because he had lived there for a long time. He knew the culture, he knew the language, he could get me around. Right? And so if I needed a bathroom, I could just go to him and say, where's the bathroom? And he could say, I'm the way. <laughs> and, and take me to the bathroom. Or show me how to get there. He was my guide. And that's what Jesus is saying. You stick with me. And I'm going to get you there. I'm taking care of you. I've got this, is what Jesus is saying. But it's even more profound than that. Jesus is not just saying, I'm the guide. It's, it's, more, it's more profound. Remember Lewis's comment about his mom's death? It was all sea and islands. And I said, this is, this is the human predicament, isn't it? That, that we feel as though it is sea and islands. We feel as though we're adrift. And there is no security in this world. And the reason we feel that is because we live, we were created to live in loving fellowship with our creator. That's what the Bible says. We were created to live in loving fellowship with our creator, with our maker. And that's why the disciples are so troubled, because they've been doing that. What, what should be the norm for all of humanity has been their experience for three years. And they're about to lose it, Jesus says. 
So they're trying to process it. It's a unique experience. It should be the norm. It was the norm in the garden. But Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They, they forfeited life with God and chose life apart from God and were cast out of the garden, out of the presence of God, out of God's home, their home with God, the garden, and life unravels. The early chapters of Genesis is one bad thing after another. Murder, chaos, power trips, um, exploitation of, of the weak, all of these things. And it all culminates in the building of this tower, the Tower of Babel, Genesis chapter 11. The people, through their, through their muscle and hard work and uh, organization and design and technology, build this tower up to the heavens to get back to God, is, is the thinking, to get security, a name, all of these things. That's what they're after. And God says, no, this project is doomed to fail because it is, is being done apart from me. And what does God do in the very next story? Genesis chapter 12, very next story after a genealogy. God calls Abraham and he promises the same things that the people at Babel sought. He promises Abraham a name. He promises that he'll be a great nation. He promises him property, land. And then Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob. And God reiterates these promises to Abraham to Jacob, his grandson, in a dream. You remember the dream? Heaven's open, and this ladder comes down from heaven, and the ladder has angels ascending and descending. The, the Hebrew word is solemn. I don't even know that a ladder is the best translation. It's probably better understood as a as a tower staircase, a zig, the ziggurats were these ancient towers that the ancient world built at this time in history. And the Tower of Babel was a ziggurat. It's like a stacked cake, like a wedding cake. That's how they built these towers. And a solemn is a staircase on that tower. So Jacob has this dream, this vision of this solemn, this, this staircase tower and angels ascending and descending on it. But here's the difference. Here's how it, it's not like Babel because it comes down down from heaven. It's not built from the earth up. And now what you're, you're thinking, what does this have to do with our passage today? It has everything to do with it. Because when Jesus meets Nathanael in John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus gives Nathanael a few biographical facts about him. And Nathanael's just like, how do you know this? Blown away. And Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Nathanael, you will see heaven open and you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on, on me, on the Son of Man. Jesus is saying, I am the ladder. I am the, 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 the staircase, the solemn. I am the way back to the Father. And I have come down from heaven to open up that way. I, Jesus is saying, I'm not just the guide. I'm the portal. I'm the passage. I'm the way to the Father. I'm the way back home. Now, do you see the comfort of this? Thomas, Thomas could have gotten an answer like this. Okay, Thomas, here's the way. You're going to read your Bible every day. You're going to keep the law. You're going to get your kids in Awanas. Uh, if, you're, if you really want to secure all of this, you can become a deacon or an elder. That would be great. 
He doesn't say that. It, it's like, you know, it's like when you're asking for directions, uh, maybe in an unknown town, and the person starts explaining it, and it gets very, very confusing very quickly. You go down here, and then, oh, and then you just go, and then, oh, and then there's a, there's a store down there, and you're just trying to keep, you're kind of nodding your head, but you have no idea what they're explaining. That's not what happens. Christ is saying, forget, let me, just let me not, I'm not going to explain it. It's too, it's too much. You just stick with me. I am the way. Be with me. It's offensively simple. The prideful don't like this. We, we, we humans, our hearts want an, an arduous road that involves prayer and prostration and fasting. We want the five pillars of Islam. That, we like that. We want 10 steps to a peaceful life. We want, we want things to do. We don't like to just receive these things. But here's the thing. The only way to get to God is through Christ. Works, the Babel Project, the five pillars of Islam, they're all doomed. They're all dead end. They're, 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 it's Babel, and it's a dead end according to God's revelation. Now, Christianity offers a very um, easy uh, way, grace, but it's also very difficult because it goes against our heart's inclinations. It's also, it's also difficult because it is a singular path. We don't like that, that it's only through Christ. And he says this, look at verse 6. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. The single road, and we find that offensive. And not, not just us, the Israelites struggled with this. It was a constant struggle for them not to appropriate and bring in the gods from the surrounding cultures, but to exalt Yahweh as the one true God and not having any other gods before them. That was a constant struggle for them. It was a, it was a struggle in the first century to deal with the, the, what, what's called the exclusivity of Christ, that only through Christ can a person be saved? That was a struggle in the first century. It was a problem in the Ref Protestant Reformation. John Calvin spends time talking about how Jesus can be the only way to the Father. But here's, here, here, here's the basis for it. It's not based in God wanting to limit in any way. It's based on the, rather, on the unlimited glory, unlimited excellence of Christ it's the magnitude of Christ. That's why he's the only way. And because he's the hope of the nations. I just read this this morning. Our, our community builder group has finished a praying life. And the men are reading this on the incarnation by Athanasius. And just this morning, I read this. It's a good, he, Athanasius, first, uh, he's in the fourth century writing. And he's dealing with this same problem. How can Christ be the only way? And this is what he says. He says, basically, it's the magnitude of who Christ is that makes him the only way. Nobody else compares. He said, can anybody else turn what is corruptible, breaking down, falling apart, to incorruptibility except the Savior who in the beginning created the universe from nothing? And that it was not for another to recreate again in the image for human beings except the image of the Father. That it was not for another to raise up the mortal to be immortal, except our Lord Jesus Christ, who is life itself. And that it was not for another to teach about the Father and destroy the worship of idols, except for the Word who arranges 
all things and is alone the true only begotten Son of the Father. Athanasius is saying, who else can bring dead things to life? Who else can bring mercy from the Father but the one who was sent by the Father? It is the unsurpassing excellence and worth that is the basis upon which Christ is the way to the Father, and no one comes to the Father except through him. He's the hope of the nations. And you see it even here. I like the way uh, Frederick Bruner, a commentator on this, puts it. He says, the East, you know, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, the East longs for the way. Buddhism and Hinduism and Eastern religions tend to emphasize the way. He says, um, they long for the way or the, 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 the Tao. The West longs for the truth, the veritas, and the whole world, north, east, west, south, you know, everybody, for the real life. And Jesus here, in a, in, a, in a sweep, solves the problems of the world. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Verse 7, he continues, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have, have seen him. And look, Philip, another disciple, says, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough. Show us the Father. Show us the Father. That's all we need. A vision of God. That's what we need. This is what Moses longed for. This is what, and it makes sense, this is what humanity longs for. A vision of God. If you just show us the Father, that's all we need. It's all, it's all we need. Of course it's all we need. Like, we're, aren't we drawn to beauty? If you see beautiful people or a beautiful sunset or a beautiful landscape, beautiful mountains, a beautiful canyon, if you hear beautiful music, beauty attracts us. We can't, we can't keep our eyes off of it. We can't keep our ears from hearing beautiful things. We love beauty. And here's the thing. All of it is a faint shadow of the infinite beauty of its creator, of God. So this is why Philip says, all we need is to see the Father. And our hearts are satisfied. And look at what Christ says. Verse 9. Oh, Philip. Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me? Whoever sees me sees the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says, you've seen the Father. I am the image of the invisible God. I am a picture of the Father. You're seeing the Father. To see me is to see the Father. Moreover, Christ says, the Father dwells in me, verse 10. It's it's remarkable that God the Father dwells in Christ. And and Jesus says, if you don't believe me, believe the works. Believe all the things that I did. You've seen on display the power of God Almighty through my ministry. But it doesn't end there. Look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Did you hear that? What does it say? Greater works than these? The, the, 
Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, only they will be greater than the ones I did, because I'm going to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What does this mean? That the disciples will do greater works than Christ? That Christ's disciples will do greater works than Christ? Well, Jesus is telling them that, he, that these men are going to build his church. And Jesus' ministry was located in a very limited geographical region. And the apostles, these disciples, spread the word of Christ across the globe to India, to Asia, I mean Asia, Africa, to Europe. They're going across the globe. And we're going to see, too, next week, the power of the Spirit is what enables them to do greater works than what Christ has done by design. But these men will build his church, and, and the glory of Christ will be manifested not just in Palestine, but across the world through the work of these apostles. When, a couple of weeks ago, we had the elders. Uh, hands were laid upon them to ordain them for ministry. For ministry. Hands were laid upon me. From the time of Acts, ministers have been laying hands upon ministers to continue the work that they, be, that they had begun with the power of the Spirit as a transfer, as a succession of ministers going out and doing the work of Christ. When, Christian, when you're baptized, you are marked as Christ. And you have the Spirit dwelling in you as a Christian. And you are marked in baptism to go out and to do greater works than Christ in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit is doing mighty things, doing mighty things in our midst. But here's the thing, it's hard to see. It happens slowly, quietly, hiddenly, but it's powerful and it's real. In Africa, in Asia, in Iran, Afghanistan, there are, there's revival breaking out amidst incredible obstacles. People are coming to faith. The Spirit is working in these places. The Spirit is working here. And we're going to, this is still, this is kind of a two-parter here because Jesus is, um, he's going to continue this next week. And we're going to continue it. But I want to just ask, are you encouraged by this this morning? It's meant to encourage. For those of us who feel rootless, if we feel like Lewis, C.S. Lewis, with, his, with that all-settled happiness and that there was nothing tranquil or reliable, that the old security was gone, that it was all sea and islands, Christ is saying, I'm the way back. I'm the way back to the Father. I'm the way back to the settled life, to the tranquil life, to infinite joy, abundant life, he calls it in John's Gospel. And he gives us the sweeping promises that he will bring us home. In the meantime, we go out and we do works, as he calls us to do. Works of ministry, works of love. Seeing the Spirit work in us. It's breathtaking. And next week, like I said, we're going to see how it even is possible. 
because it's impossible apart from the Spirit. And he's going to tell us about the Spirit next week. But until then, let's be encouraged in this word of Christ this morning. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we give you thanks for this beautiful picture of you preparing a place for us in a heavenly abode that you will take us there yourself and uh, reveal it to us, that you will give us a home with the Father, with our Maker, with our Creator for all eternity. We give you thanks and we pray that your Spirit, I can't convey this, I don't even know, I don't even know what this is like, but your Spirit, which is a Spirit of wisdom and revelation, Paul tells us, can make these things known to us. And so we pray that you would. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.